Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. It is Wednesday, and Wednesday brings you our long-form teaching each and every week. And today, Pastor Chris is going to take us into the book of Matthew, chapter 7. He's going to be talking about judging. Dun-dun-dun-dun. It's a hot topic these days because we hear the terms don't judge or you shouldn't judge. You have no right to judge. It's a common mantra uh, in our culture today. So Chris is taking us again to Matthew chapter 7. Hit the title of the message, Who Can Judge? We're going to look into that subject together, and I know you're going to come out a little bit smarter. Here's Pastor Chris. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. we're going to read the first five verses today. And the title of the message is, Who Can Judge? And so let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. The words will be up on the screen, but I encourage you to always bring your Bible, even if it's your electronic version, because there's ways you can mark stuff in there. And it's just really, really good to grow in the Lord through His Word. And uh, today is no different. So Matthew 7, 1 through 5, I read in Jesus' name. Jesus is speaking. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Be with us. Give us strength, wisdom, and understanding today. Let these be your words to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Did you know that Matthew 7, verse 1 that I just read is quickly replacing John 3.16 as the most memorized and quoted verse in the Bible? It's true. For instance, I'm going to make a few statements, and let's see if you agree with me, okay? You ready? All gossip is wrong. You can't rail against someone behind their back and call it a prayer request. Number two, abortion is murder. It is the killing of a human being, and those doctors who perform abortion, except for rare exceptions, are guilty of taking innocent human life. Number three, sex outside of marriage with one man and one woman is a sin. Any sexual deviancy needs to be repented of in order to be right with God. Now, those statements are made. The world will immediately jump up in your grill, and they trot out their favorite Bible verse. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And then they will say something like this, well, who died and made you my judge? So this brings up a question. Is it ever right to pass judgment on the actions of others? And today, I'm going to lay it out for you, and you got to stay with me or it'll get very confusing very fast. And you know, you got to be careful how we answer this question. You might think that Jesus would have said, no, it is never right to judge another if you follow what the world says, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus said, it depends. There are times when you can judge and times when you cannot judge. Hear that now. 
Jesus said it depends. There are times when you can judge and times when you cannot judge. The five verses we have read today have something very important to say about this matter of judging one another. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, we all engage in judging from time to time. Some people have even made it their lifestyle to judge others by their own standards. And let's look at what Jesus had to say about this matter. And I want to speak to you today on the thought, who can judge? There are three issues I want to point out from this text. Point number one in your notes. Be careful and use caution. Be careful and use caution. Verses 1 and 2 say, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. The word judge means to pronounce judgment, to expression of a strong disapproval or harsh criticism. It refers to the act of being in part of a judge or to pass judgment on the words or deeds of another. Jesus says, judge not. Does this mean that all judgment is wrong? No. No. There are some occasions mentioned in the Bible where Christians are called upon to exercise judgment over others. So now you're going to think that I'm I'm playing both sides of the fence here. No, it's very simple once you get your eyes open to it. Remember last week, the limited visibility gets lifted. Stay with me now. Let me give you some biblical examples when you are supposed to judge. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul judges a man guilty of fornication with his father's wife, and he condemns the man. And his actions calls on the church to do the same. Matthew 7, verse 6, which is the next verse in our text that's not part of our text today, it says we're told to judge some people as dogs and swine, being unworthy of the precious treasures of the Word of God. 1 John 4 talks about believers being commanded to judge religions and statements of preachers and teachers. You're commanded to judge what I do and what others like me do, to see if they line up with the Word of God and the teachings of the gospel. Matthew 7, 15 and 20, later on in the same chapter we're in right now, we're obligated to examine the fruit of those around us and base our fellowship with that person on what we see in their lives. I call it being a fruit inspector with discernment from God, with the right heart, that's godly. That's godly judgment. Matthew 18, 15 and 18 said, there are times when the church must exercise discipline against a wayward member. This will require judging their fruits from the word of God. Don't forget these legitimate fruit inspector judgments used in line with discernment to advance the kingdom in your life, in our church, and in our world. So if that's all true, then what is Jesus talking about here? Here it is. The word judge means to criticize, condemn, judge, or censor. It is the old fault-finding attitude. It's being picky. It's the habit of harping criticism. It is a mean, critical spirit that sees only bad in others. Jesus is talking about looking at people and attempting to judge their motives and their real spiritual condition based on what we see in our lives, not looking at the fruit of their lives, laying it down next to the Word of God and with a, with a, with a calm, cautious heart, wanting to, to guide these brothers and sisters back into, into right living with Christ. Instead, it's this harsh, critical thing. 
So we, we want to take both of them and say both are wrong. Or we want to take both of them and say both are right. I'm telling you, you've got to rightly divide this topic. And that's what we're going to do today. See, the idea here is that a person judges to know the condition of another person's heart. You set yourself up as judge and jury. Proclaim the guilt and innocent of everybody around me. That's the attitude that Jesus is condemning in Matthew 7 that we're in today. See, the person who sets themselves up as the judge and jury and executioner of about whatever topic, what they're doing is they're going to face the same judgment someday. The critic forgets that they will face God in judgment. And in that day, Jesus says, God's going to use the same yardstick to judge the critic that the critic used to judge others. That's a scary thought. That's why Jesus says, don't do it. Now, I've got some verses I want you to consider, and they're going to be up on the screen. The next time you think about sitting in judgment of another person. James 3, 1 and 2 says, Not many should be teachers, my brothers, because you know that you will receive a stricter judgment. Yay. (laughs) For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. James 2, verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It'll be measured back to you. In other words, when you judge another person, you're going to eventually reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 says it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. By the way, every person you watch and criticize, there is someone else watching you and criticizing your life. Criticism is something that we have to get over when we want to serve Jesus with abandon. And when I say criticizing from me to you and then yours to me has to fall off like water off a duck's back. Here's the bottom line. We have no right to judge and criticize the lives of those around us. This is much different than being a fruit inspector for holy discernment. And there are a few good reasons why I say this. Five of them exact, and I'm going to label them A through E so we don't get confused in our notes like I did two weeks ago. A, don't criticize because you don't know all the facts. You just don't know the facts. Let me give you an, an example. There's a story about an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise tour to his shop. Walking through the warehouse, he noticed a young man just lazily leaning up against some of the packing crates with his hands in his pocket doing nothing. The boss walked up to him and angrily said, just how much are you paid a week? Well, the young man's eyes got rather big and and he said, 300 bucks. The boss pulled out his wallet and peeled off three $100 bills and gave it to him and said, here's a week pay, now get out of here and don't ever come back. Well, without a word, the young man stuffed the money in his pocket and bailed. The warehouse manager was standing nearby in amazement. The boss walked over and said, tell me, how long has that guy been working for us? And the manager said, he didn't work here. He was just delivering a package. (laughs) (laughs) 
B, don't criticize because we all fail God and sin. If you want to jot something down to look up later, put down 1 John 1, 8 through 10. C, don't criticize because you don't know the content of the other person's heart. You don't know what's going on in that other person's heart. There's a story of this man and his three children that get on the subway in New York City. And the man is just kind of sitting there just quiet and eyes closed and open and closed and open. Meanwhile, his kids start doing that. Don't touch me. You're touching me. And then they start shoving each other. And then they start really getting into each other and they're annoying all these other passengers. And all the other passengers are looking like, Dad, why don't you do something? What a lousy dad this guy is. Just letting his kids act like this. And so finally a man said, dude, aren't you going to do something about your kids? And the man kind of came through and goes, oh, I'm sorry, kids, 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 settle down. I'm sorry, we just came from the hospital. These kids' mother just died. And we were having a hard time. That changed everything in that subway car. See, you don't know sometimes what's going on in a person's heart. D, don't criticize because when you do, you are attempting to assume the authority of God. A couple more scriptures for your notes we're not getting into. We don't have time. Romans 14, 4 and James 4, 11 and 12. E, don't criticize because one day you will face God in judgment yourself. That's different than being a fruit inspector of somebody who is part of our fellowship that is doing things that don't line up with the Word of God and we have to say something. Do you get it? Let's go on to point two. Because we're at this point now. I want you to hear the challenge from Jesus. I want you to hear the challenge from Jesus. It's in verse 3 and 4. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? But don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Here Jesus talks about the real issue. When we judge another, we always do so from a warped perspective. He uses the humorous image of a man with a log sticking out of his eye. Now, to try to help remove the splinter from another person's eye, I've got this big beam coming out of my face. The word splinter here refers to like a dry twig or a piece of chaff. And the word beam refers to a load-bearing beam in a house, the biggest log that, that these people would have to support their structure. Imagine how impossible that would be. That is such a great analogy from our king. When I look at your life and see your faults, I am, in fact, blind to the problems that dwell in my own heart. Hear me. When I look at your life and see your faults, I am in fact blind to the problems that dwell in my own heart. For instance, if my heart was pure and holy as I would like it to believe, I would not be focused on criticizing and condemning your failures. I would instead love you, pray for you, and try to help you. I would not be in the business of tearing you down. I would be seeking how I might build you up and restore you. We have a word for that here, a little phrase, little two words that go together. It's called covenant partnerships. The problem with judging others is that we are often guilty of the same or worst sins ourselves. They say that a cheating spouse, one of the first things they do in the middle of their guilt is try to accuse their spouse of cheating. Do you follow? It's like this is how humans are wired in our sinful nature. 
and how we are also wired by the Holy Spirit once we're redeemed. We're different. We're alive. We're growing. And yet we still sometimes struggle with that criticizing nature. The problem is that none of us are anything to brag about, and yet we think we are sometimes. While we look at some way, uh, you know, people, the way they dress, the way they act, and the outward signs of sin in their life, we're always blinded by the prejudiced, hypocritical spirit and the sins that lurk in our own heart. And I want to give you an example. We are a come-as-you-are church. We don't judge anybody by the way they dress. I could be up here in a tank top and cutoffs. I'd suffer when I went home with Emily, but I could do it. But what about if I wanted to wear a suit and tie next Sunday? Who would criticize me for that? I brought it up last November. I said, every Christmas, I have a Christmas tie that's very special to me. It's the one day a year I will wear a tie. And I used to have a red shirt to go with it and a black jacket. It's my Christmas outfit. I was told not to wear it because some of you would be offended by it. Because we don't dress up at Lifehouse. Wait till Christmas this year. I will be styling in what I used to call my Pat Riley's. If you don't know who Pat Riley's is, he was the slick back coach for the L.A. Lakers back in the time. He always wore those nice suits. So that's what we called him in the neighborhood. Putting on my Pat Riley's. Going to go get me a job. <laughs> so we can't look at the outward prejudices, hypocritical spirit, and the sins of others because what happens is those are the things that are lurking in our own heart. See, what makes me think that I'm in any position to straighten out anybody is that if I don't realize I'm such a mess myself, see, if I think I got it together, then you need to be like me. Otherwise, if I can tear you down in my own mind, then I'm better. What do we all do? We all are guilty of this when we drive. Because everybody going past us is a maniac, and everybody going slow is an idiot. In any given crowd, you can say, how many people believe they're a really good driver? And 97% of the people will raise their hand, including those losers who are in the left lane at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> Ta-da, get it? Tracking? I have grace for them. I literally have told Emily as I'm getting mad, I've talked to myself, I'm like, maybe they're coming from the hospital. Maybe they just got a phone call and their world's wrecked and they don't even know what lane they're in. Grace to them. And that's usually after I've, you know, just about blown the porcelain off my teeth. <laughs> See, here's the hard part. Here's the truth that is so, so hard to swallow. Listen to me now. Jesus is saying that the sin of the critic is greater than the sin of the person being judged. That's what he's saying. He's saying the sin of the critical heart person is greater than the person that's being criticized. When we talk about the flaw that is visible in someone's life, we reveal a canyon of our own problems. We are revealing a heart that lacks genuine love for our neighbors. Matthew twenty two thirty nine 39 is the love your neighbor as yourself commandment. That ought to make us stop and think before we tear another person down. Just because I don't live up to their standards. Just because they don't live up to my standards. Just because the standards of you and me don't line up, we have to then criticize each other. That's how our world functions. And God comes along and says, no, my child, that's not the way it is for you. There's an old poem puts it this way. 
There is so much good in the worst of us, and there is so much bad in the best of us, that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Let's go to point three today. Honor the counsel you learn. Honor the counsel you learn. Verse 5 says, hypocrite, take the beam first out of the wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Jesus uses some pretty strong language here. He calls those people who judge and criticize others hypocrites. He says that when we do this, we're merely acting like we are holier than what we really are. Then he offers some valuable counsel to those of us who fall into this trap from time to time. Jesus tells us the would-be judge needs to first clean up his own life. Then we will be a better person to help our brother and sister. When our own heart is clean, we are told we will be able to see clearly, lift the veil, lift that limited vision, come out of the fog. I get the impression that we are able to see more than the splinter in our brother's eye. I think we'll see a few other things more clearly. Let me give you a quick list. We'll see our own heart more clearly. We'll understand that we are just sinners ourselves who are prone to fail. Number two, we will see God in the fact that we will stand in judgment before him more clearly. Will we stand forgiven? Will we stand perfect? Yes, but we still stand. Will we see our brother more clearly and our sisters more clearly? Yes. We will see their need for love, compassion, and help more clearly. This is why we don't break covenant. If we made a covenant with somebody, we don't break it. We want to allow them to go and leave the door open with love and forgiveness. That's what a covenant partnership is, and I'll talk more about that next week. But when our own heart has been fixed, when our own vision has been cleared up, we'll be able to reach out to the fallen brother and sister, to the lost sinner in the right spirit. Even if they don't understand it, even if they misinterpret it and try to throw it back in our face, it, it doesn't matter. We know we're approaching it in the right spirit. That's what a lot of you are getting. We're all getting this together, that the right spirit is here in Lifehouse, and we're just doing it right. The ground here was good for this kind of growth. I saw it a mile away when we were candidating here a year and a half ago. That's why we're here. We're called here because we will be able to come with a spirit of compassion and restoration in spite of my weaknesses and your weaknesses. God will make us strong as we continue to surrender to him. See, we ought to have the desire to help a wayward brother and to win a lost sinner. Neither is possible if we roll with this judgmental, critical attitude. And when we walk in love with one another, we will be in the business of building each other up, not tearing each other down. Now, I say that, and now I'm about to tell you how the world will call it tearing down, but it's biblical. This is the big turn. Don't lose me here. It is not wrong to confront a person with their sin. It is wrong if you don't. Didn't you just say that we're supposed to build people up, not tear them down? Yes. And the way you build people up, if you do it with the right spirit, is by confronting them with their sin. This is the big dichotomy that people can't get. This takes spiritual maturity. Now, go with me now. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. 
The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens, you have won a brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. By the way, that every fact may be established includes facts that hurt your cause. There's a conflict. Somebody sinned against you. You went to them. They, they rejected your, you, what you were saying, so you bring a couple others with you. Now, this isn't the dude down the street. These are people that are part of our fellowship. That's what we do. The last verse of uh, 17 of Matthew 18 says, If he doesn't pay attention, then tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to even the church, then let them be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Oh, that's tearing the person down. No, it's not. It's building them up. It's giving them an opportunity to go out and find their way and let God deal with them. Luke 17, 3 says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. That's the right spirit. When you rebuke somebody, and I just can't stand that word, but when, when, when you confront somebody in their sin in a rebuking way, the goal is softness of your heart in the hope that they repent so that they can be forgiven and restored. It's not to get a pound of flesh so that they can be wrong in their wrongy wrongness. That's not the point. Refusing to confront a person about their sin is just as wrong as a doctor refusing to confront a patient about their sickness. If you want to understand what Jesus said in Matthew 7.1, you must put right beside it John 7.24. It says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. That's John 7.24. I'll read it again. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge according, but judge righteous judgment. Now, that says it all. You can't judge a tree by its leaves, but you can judge a tree by its fruit. You cannot judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a book by its contents. Here's the big key. The key is not to judge by appearance. There's a lady at the airport. She bought a book to read and a package of cookies to eat. And while she's waiting for a plane, she sits down, she gets immersed in her book. And then she noticed a man sitting next to her one seat away. You know how we always sit at the airport? We always leave that, that space. You want to freak somebody out? There's all these empty chairs, and the person says, walk up and sit right next to them. Especially in COVID times. And not have your mask on. <laughs> no, I joke. So there's that seat between them. And she could hardly believe her eyes. The stranger is on that seat between them opening this bag of cookies. And he took one and ate it. And she was hot and steve, so she reached into the bag and took one and ate it. Well, the man didn't say anything. He just reached over, took another cookie. And this woman thought to herself, she was not going to let him eat all her cookies. So she took another cookie. And when they finally got down to one cookie, the man reached into the bottom of the bag, still without saying anything, broke the cookie in half and put one side in one side of his mouth, the other side in the other side of his mouth while he's looking at her, raised his eyebrows and got up and walked away. Well, the woman couldn't believe it. She could not believe this man's nerve. She was sitting there thinking how arrogant this guy was. Soon the announcement came to board the plane, and she got on the plane, still hot and bothered. Man, she's just ticked about the audacity of this guy. And she sat down and buckled her seatbelt, reached into her purse for a tissue, and there was her bag of cookies. <laughs> there are several reasons why people tend to judge and criticize others. 
We already talked about the appearance. We already talked about the fact that we don't know what's, you know, a lot of times what's really going on. Sometimes we're in our own confusion. And when it's major and it's biblical and they're part of the fellowship, we have to confront people with their sin. How do you confront the lost with their sin? You give them the law. Ten commandments. You broke any one of them, you're guilty and you're separated from God. And Jesus offers the free gift of life. That's being so judgmental according to the world. No, it's not. That's what we're supposed to do. We're talking about a critical spirit for no other reason. There, there are seven, several reasons why people tend to judge and criticize others. Criticism boosts our self-image. Pointing out someone else's failure and tearing them down makes us feel a little bit better, at least in our own eyes. It adds a little bit to our pride, our ego, our self-image. Criticism is often enjoyed. I've been around people from my old neighborhood. There there was a tendency uh, just to watch these people take pleasure in hearing bad news and reveling in the shortcomings of others. That's why the tabloid magazines make so much money when the super celebrity has fallen down. They build you up and then they tear you down. Why? Because tearing it down is enjoyable to so many people. Criticism makes us feel that our lives are better than the person who failed. In other words, criticism builds us up with our pride, and we all suffer from it, even your pastor. We suffer from it. Criticism points out to our friends how strong we are. Criticism gives good feelings because our rigid belief in our strong lives are proven again and again by our brother's failure. Criticism is an outlet for hurt and revenge. We think that they deserve it. Subconsciously, if not consciously, we think, they hurt me, they deserve to hurt too. So we criticize the person who failed. But here's the invitation as I close today. If you've been guilty of passing judgment on others because they do not live like you do, and if the Lord has spoken to your heart about this matter, And if he has, then you need to make it right in prayer to the Lord and get the log out of your own eye intentionally today. And if you've been unjustly judged by others, have you forgiven the ones who did that to you? You need to. It's a freeing thing. When people criticize you, it's hard to let go. Jesus helps me not let others who have criticized me live rent-free in my head. When we were on the radio, we would get 50 emails a day. We'd get sometimes, uh, at one point we were getting up to 1,500 attempted phone calls to our show every day. It was loaded with God used you in my life. We so appreciate you. You guys are so funny. It was so insightful. We love Emily's laugh. And out of 50 emails, there would be five that would say, I just want to speak the truth to you in love. We hate you. (laughs) Emily's laugh is so annoying, we can't believe she's still on the air. We think that you guys are just awful. And I'm paraphrasing. But guess which ones we would talk about and think about the whole way home? In radio, you want a 60-40 split. You want 60% of the people to like you and 40% of the people to not like you. 
Most people are lucky if they get 60% like and 20% not like because 20% of your audience may not even care about you at all. We were running like an 85-15 or 85-10 and 5. But why did those people that didn't like us bother us so much? Because we did not have the right forgiveness in our heart. I'm going to level with you straight up today. I wasn't spiritually mature enough in Jesus to have authentic forgiveness for some of those people that criticized us. And sometimes it wasn't that somebody sent an email or made a phone call. It was that somebody wrote an article that went in the paper. Or somebody was on the TV saying, how dare they? That's rough. But if you've been unjustly judged by others and you know who they are, I am begging you from the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word for you to reach out in your heart to authentically forgive them today. You need to. And at the end of this service, this altar is always open. And if anybody comes up here and kneels at this altar, I will be here with you to talk with you. Because the last thing I want to share with you, if you've never been saved... That's what God wants for you. If you are unsaved and you want to try to apply some of this stuff, it's not for you. This message was for the redeemed so that they could parcel rightly when not to judge and be critical and when to judge with discernment the fruit of people's lives and to confront people with their sin. It's for the saved. It's for the redeemed. So if you've never been saved and you want to know Jesus as your Savior, I'll introduce him to you. So the altar will be open for you at the conclusion of this service today. These are the things I'd like you to think on. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you. We thank you for living the perfect life we couldn't live. We thank you for your sacrificial death on the cross. And it sounds so easy to say, but it was such an awful thing. It was such a huge price to pay for my sin, my critical spirit, my pride. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But Lord, you offer us life eternal because you had victory over death, hell, and the grave. And you live forever and you offer that to us freely. And for those of us who have accepted it, as we want to advance your kingdom and push back the darkness, we need your strength. We need your wisdom. And you say you'll give it generously to those who seek it. And we seek it today. We seek it as Lifehouse Church. I ask a special blessing on each person here, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.